You can always get. I'm sure you could get like bagged sand on Amazon. Yeah, but even like opening it up and like having to pour it in, it's like you probably need to get a, fl- a funnel to be extra safe. Yep. And then it's like, and then no matter where I store that bag of sand, because this bag of sand is gonna be bigger than what I need, and it's just like, uh, uh-uh, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not fucking with that. I'm not fucking with that. No way. <laughs> <laughs> just chuck it out your window at someone randomly passing by when you're done with it. <laughs> just drop it in the bag. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I'm only on the second floor, so. <laughs> so it'd just be a short drop onto their head. Yeah, only a concussion. <laughs> only a concussion. Well, hello and welcome to Bromancing the Stone. It's the podcast for myself, Renee Sanchez, and my good buddy, Max Lyon. What's up? Watch rom-coms and record our thoughts and paste them on the internet. Or paste them. Well, <laughs> we just copy and paste thing involved. But we place those thoughts on the internet for the tens and tens of listeners listening pleasure. And Max, how are you doing? This muggy-ass Sunday. I am muggy. It is muggy. <laughs> I was just noticing. I'm like, God, it's that time of year. I just started feeling, like, sticky again. Now, see, Chicago did as dirty this year because usually Chicago has two nice weeks at the end of May and, and into June where it's, like, like blue skies at 70s before, yeah. it hops, before it hops into, like, the too hot range. And also the two humid range. Which we did get this a little is, bit of. We did get some really nice weather for a couple weeks. True. We got a, a couple like nice, like random high 60s days. That's fair. Yeah. But yeah, but now we've jumped into August weather in May. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about it. This is what August is it's cloudy and it's muggy. This is what the and, whole fucking summer is. That's what's annoying about the Midwestern no, no, summers, no, is thunderstorms. July. July's July's nice. I feel like June and July like is a f- like two to four week period where a majority of the days are blue skies, or like well, the clouds yeah. or the clouds burn off. By August, August is thunderstorm season. Yeah, much like much like it's hurricane season down in the southeast. It's thunderstorm season in the in the Midwest. That's true. That's true. And just, so August just... is when it gets. I feel like we have so many more cloudy summer days here than I ever remember growing up with on the West Coast. Like, like I maybe it's just skewered memory, but like I remember three months straight of like clear skies. Oh, that's skewed memory. Is it? Skewed memory. Yeah. Um, (coughs) The thing with the thing with Oregon is that. Summer started late, though. Like, summer started at the end of June, almost 4th of July, is when we got the clear skies. And then they kind of run through to the end of September. Yeah. So it wasn't like a end of May, like Memorial Day to, like, Labor Day type. Oh, that's true. Think, that's which true. Which is what you think summer is. Oregon was more like late summer, late summers. But then also, yeah. the thing with Oregon is that Oregon would also have... 
a like random few there's always a random like three to four days where it would be rainy and cloudy but warm but it would only be a few days but then in august in august there would be really it'd be really hot or it'd be cloudy but there was no in between like it's either like high like it's it felt like it was either like 90s or it was cloudy and threatening to rain yeah there was no in between there's no nice like 70 degree august day you know um and then also the state fair in oregon was always the end of like the last day was always labor day so that was always like the end of summer signifier to myself like school's about to start up again because I, right, I live in Salem. Right. So, um, where the state fair ha- is in Oregon, so that was always the signifier that school's about to start again. Um, and I and I've always known the state fair to always have two to three days of rain. Huh. In that in that ending period, so there. So the Augusts in Oregon are similar to Chicago, just that Chicago is more. Every day is like that. Yeah. Where Oregon just has portions spurts of it, of it like that. Spurts of it. While the other portions are dry heat, like air, like zona random ass heat. So it's either like you have a really hot like zona day, or you have like a humid Chicago day. There's no in between on in August in Oregon. Well, I don't remember a lot of humidity in Oregon. There, it wasn't. The summers were very dry. They weren't humid at all. I found them humid, but that's because, I don't know, like, it's, I don't know what it was about, like, Salem, but, like, there's just a lot of, like, trees, and it kind of packed all the heat in. Oh, so it wasn't yeah. necessarily humid. It wasn't necessarily humid, it's just that all the heat was still stuck from all, the, like, the foliage around us. It just, like, kept everything in, like, an oven. Right, right. That's the heat island effect, actually. That's There's a term for that. That's, like, oh, a nice. big architectural, like, urban planning thing. Huh that cities do suffer from and you're noticing the exact like result of it and it feels like an oven yeah and so like when it got like when it was like still in the like low 80s or high 70s at like 7 p.m or 8 p.m when the sun was going down if you could really feel that oven effect yeah in the summers yeah yeah that's i mean that's the that's being in an urban environment with all those with all the concrete and brick too, it creates ovens. Yeah. It increases the yeah. heat. Yeah, you, know, you know what other places? You know, bunch of concrete and you know make feels like a brick oven is New York, which is where sleeping with other people is located. Fucking New York. And that's the movie we watched today. <laughs> it was hard to find a segue in that one, but we found it. Yeah, we found it. We got there. <laughs> We got there. As you can see, the weather like flipped on us here in Chicago, so it's a it's a talking point here. It is um, yeah, every year, every year. Well, yeah, because yeah, every year. the delivery truck is back. Yeah, of course they knew. They knew. <laughs> they knew. We they knew they we were recording. We were gonna record, and immediately had to come over and make their <laughs> presence known. All right, it's off for now. So we'll continue on. But as you were saying, uh, yeah, the weather in cities is is strange, especially this one. So it becomes a talking point. I would imagine that New York experiences even shittier weather because they're the shittier version of everything we have here. So 
<laughs> Boom. Yeah, but yes, uh, see with other people a uh, movie that I chose and that I've seen many, many, many times. And this, I believe, is your second time. I know we watched it together, but this was your first time probably remembering it. Yeah, I don't Did remember. Anything... Yeah, I don't remember much of it. Yeah, so uh, any initial thoughts before I go into the stats of the film? Um, no. Let's, let's have at it. <laughs> All right. So... Sleeping with Other People is a 2015 American romantic comedy film directed and written by Leslie Headland. Oh. <laughs> uh, the that film was nice stars... to hear in my ear. Right. Yeah, I thought, I thought you'd like it. Uh, the film stars Jason Sudeikis, Allison Brie, and then I don't agree with the next three that are listed, but this is who's listed. Uh, Natasha Leone, Amanda Peet, and Adam Scott. Hmm. No Jason Manzoukas and no Andrea Savage, who I think are the next two that matter in that. But oh, whatever. Um, premiering at the 2015 Sundance, Sundance Film Festival on January 24th, 2015, the film was released theatrically on September 11th, 2015 by IFC Films. Um, and it was... Produced uh, by, you might have seen uh, Gloria Sanchez Productions. I did, I did. Yeah. Which is, is Which I'm assuming is, this is your mom? Uh, no. Um, it's an offshoot of the Gary Sanchez Productions, oh. which is the production company of Will Ferrell and Adam McKay. Gotcha. So, basically the funnier die people. So this was... Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, that kind of... They're the ones who kind of produced this and, and such. So... Um, running time of the film is 101 minutes. And the budget of the film... Uh, have a guess. See what you think, how much they spent on this. Now, once again, it was... It premiered at Sundance, which means it was more of an indie film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what do you think? Mm, I'm gonna say maybe twenty-five million. You're you're stuck in those uh, early two thousands and nineties budgets. Still now too low, in, huh? No, no, we're in the teens, which means they ain't got money for. Oh, 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 oh! They ain't got money for rom coms now. Because they're spending all their money on the next Marvel franchise. That's right. That's right. Which I, this, I was not budget. entirely opposed to. Yeah. The budget of this film, it's not exact, but it's uh, around, it has that little squiggly, like, you know, similar to around $3 million. Wow. Holy yep. shit. Yep. They did a lot with $3 million. Yeah. And then... Uh, how much uh, did it make in the box office, according to what it shows here? Twelve million. It made three point two million. So. Shit. Yeah, I mean, it's indie films for you. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, 
because you're not talking about a huge marketing budget in that case. So if you make your budget back with an indie film and a little bit on top, usually you put it out by yourself. So you're taking in all the money. So you're actually coming closer to a profit than a big studio film. Like how to lose a guy in 10 days. Like that one's got to make twice its budget. To right. Back right. Marketing and everything else. So. I still, I feel like, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't classify it as an indie film now. Would you like, is this still, is that really an indie film? This film? Yeah. Technically. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they had some, like, they had a lot of familiar faces in it. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of, it was kind of the, that's really probably going to be a moment in time. The 2010s was full of the quote unquote mumblecore indie film. Cause that's not necessarily, because like now content is delivered in so many different ways that, you know, people aren't, trying to make a quick indie film for like a million dollars and then just hoping to kind of just make their money back so that they can go make another film. Like that was kind of the, the model for like indie filmmakers like Joe Swanberg and, you know, the Duplass brothers and other people like that. But now there's so many ways to get content out, not only streaming services, but on top of that, you're talking YouTube, you're talking so many other things that, your budget doesn't have to be nearly as much as you thought. And the form that you put it out there could be, doesn't have to be constricted to a 90 minute film that you then try to find distribution for. And you know, this and that, so that other people can see it. You can fucking upload it to the internet, create a Twitter account, try to gather some buzz, hashtag the shit out of it and try to get attention for your art that way. Right. And so many, you know, like, you could basically try to hustle your ass off to, to get the same amount of eyes that it used to take trying to get a distribution deal out of the Sundance Film Festival in 2015 with names that are recognizable like Alison Brie and Jason Sudeikis. So I mean, it had like, time caps, Adam, a time capsule what indie films were. Go ahead. Adam Brody, Amanda Peet, Jason Adam Manz, Scott. Adam Scott, Natasha Leone. Andrea Savage, like you said. I mean, like, Jason Manzoukas. Adrian Pimento. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, it's yeah. just, it's weird. It's crazy. Understanding that dynamic, I guess. is. Yeah, it's interesting knowing that this was six uh, yeah. years ago. And, and thinking about that form of movie making. Yeah. As something in the past. But it is now something in the past. You well, know? do you do you know that it's in the past? Or maybe it's something that we just don't... Like, it happens still, but we don't hear about it as much kind of thing. I mean, I think... Like, just... When a new movie comes out on Netflix, do you know about it anymore? Like, there's so many things that are being put out on, like, Netflix and streaming sites and everything else oh, that's true. that you don't know about. That are just like, oh, what? This exists? 
and that's, just that's like, very uh, true i mean even with all yeah. those uh, like netflix rom-coms we've seen so far most of them i didn't know about until like after they came out yeah i mean in this one this movie i remember catching the trailer because it had people that i liked in it and i just remember like it being sent to me in a dm uh by uh my buddy ben hasseld andrew's older brother shout out ben uh but i remember he just sent me the he sent me the trailer because he loved watch he loves watching uh movies as they come out like he was one of those who like invested in movie pass like nice when it was when it was a thing um but anyway uh so he sent me that trailer and he was like i know this is right up your alley and i was like yes this is indeed right up my alley. And right when the trailer came out, I was immediately on board with this film and I never got off board. I was always on board. With this film. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, it, like that's the thing. Like you put out a trailer and then you got an indie film out there, but now if there's like content that need to be made, you know, it probably these actors or this like writer director would, you know, try to find, a streaming service or like a distribution you know, any but try to like find somewhere to pay them up front first for their content so they probably make free content to try to gather a content right. deal yeah. and then within that content deal put out something like this yeah and god that's so weird what is what is yeah, strange yeah. like like order of operations the order of operations is flipped now artists are creating short stuff to then you know demonstrate that they should be paid to make long stuff but then the long stuff's now going to have more of the corporate you know touch on it instead of the other way around fitting into a corporate mold where the indie film idea, which was this, which is you find an initial investor to take a chance on your th- on your story, you make the film for whatever budget you got, and then you release it at a film festival and hope someone buys the rights to then distribute it. Which, if we're still going to do the movie you're thinking about doing, then yeah, that's that's also how that film got picked up. Oh really? Was through, the, was through premiering at a film festival, and then they sold it for. Um, and it was. I remember that's when they Netflix sold the film picked it up, right? No, Hulu. Hulu, that's right, Hulu. All right, and <laughs> there was a. Uh, <laughs> it, it made news, like in the entertainment news stuff, for how much it sold for because they insisted that the. <laughs> that end in whatever millions amount and then 42069 or something like that. <laughs> um, so like they made sure like the 69 or something was in it. So um, the lonely Island guys. That's awesome. uh, so yeah. So it was just like, you know, but even then, like that's just, you know, they went out, they had the money, they initially made the movie and then they sold the distribution rights. That's kind of what this one was trying to do as well. Then IFC Films finally jumped in and at least you know got it out there and they made their right, budget back. Right. Um, but now, if this film was trying to be made, like 
I don't know how they'd make it. I don't know if they would just make it and put it out on YouTube for free and just say, I needed to do this. Probably, yeah. Because, especially because of the origin story behind this film. Like, so, as I mentioned, it was a writer and director by the name of Leslie Headland. Um, she also makes a, she also makes slash made slash, I don't know if it's still being made, but uh, there was a Netflix series that starred Natasha Leone called Russian Doll. Oh, yeah. Um, I still want to catch it, but I never actually like sat and watched it. Wasn't she also but, in uh, Orange is the New Black? Natasha Leone? Yeah. I think so, but I never watched that. I think that was um, also, wasn't that also Netflix? That was a Netflix that show, That was Netflix, too. yes. Yeah. Um, but... Um, so Leslie Headland also wrote the film Bachelorette, which was, uh, um, a film with like Kirsten Dunst and Lizzie Kaplan. Oh yeah. Isla, Isla Fisher. Yeah. Um, so after the debut of her, of that film, uh, Leslie Headland became what she would later define as suicidally depressed, noting that at one point she was literally wondering, should I check myself into a psych ward, uh, to help cope with that. Uh, she went to Big Sur, where she wrote all day and all night. And she realized she wanted to write a movie about sex addiction after entering into a relationship with someone who was already seeing another person. And recalling that at one point she drove to his house, I just started crying hysterically. I pulled over and just kept crying. It was sort of like, what is my problem right now? Is it that I'm in love with him? Or is it that I feel guilty? Is it that I'm doing something I don't want to do? Uh, and from the start, she did not set out to make a romantic comedy, although when she realized she was making one, she wanted to make sure that it all felt very believable. And then for research purposes, she attended sexual addiction meetings, as well as read many books about the subject, including Your Brain on Sex and the Relationship Addiction book, Leaving the Enchanted Forest. Damn. So, so, Damn. Going, all the way, so going all the way into that whole like creating content idea... It was like, this is something that, like, there's certain artists who make films that have to make that film in order to get it out of their body, get it out of their soul, like, get it out into the world and share because that's, that, because it's, it's going to rot and infect, and like, infect everything in them if they leave it inside. Right. So they have to get it out of them. It's almost like a surgery. And so with content how content is made now and with basically the dissolution of movie theaters <laughs> how do films like this get out that's going to be interesting to see i mean streaming services have kind of stepped up a little bit yeah is that is that really the way i mean and, i can see it we all spend so much time on our phones <laughs> now i need i mean that's kind of what tiktok is like yeah like they get their short little you know their short little uh sample out I mean there's and then also on top of that you know like look back at another movie we did Love Guaranteed that Mm -hmm. movie I feel like reimagine could have been more indie like cutesy like that script is but instead, it became what it was, which was just very like Hallmarky. Yeah. And it's just like, so if we're 
if we're going kind of backwards with it, where it's not the movie being made and then trying to find someone to share it with the world, but trying to get paid first and then have this be a product that you then, you know, show on this wide reaching thing. Is there going to be room for projects that are personal for whomever? Yeah, I, that's an interesting thing. I really don't know what the, the state of that or it, really any industry at this point is going to be now moving forward. Like, with things starting to reopen, like, what kind of things have we learned from a year's worth of not having movie theaters, for example, or not having people gathering in the movie theaters? What kinds of new habits have we picked up or new interests or new um, mediums, you know? That'd be yeah. weird. Be weird. And, and like, yeah, it's just on top of all that, it the movie business has really been put on pause. Like, whenever there's a movie commercial, you, you think to yourself, oh, that's probably on HBO Max. You don't think, like, oh, that's going to be on theaters anymore. Now it's like, oh, okay. Well, I can see it on the... And it's like, there's so many movies that came out, like, like the Oscars happened and I legit didn't watch a single second. Yeah. I I completely forgot about all the war shows. Yeah. And like, I looked at, I think I briefly glanced at the best pictures of nominees and I'm like, I have not heard or read (laughs) a single tweet about a single one of those movies. (laughs) Yeah. Because no one's going to the movies anymore. Yeah. Well, and we also don't even, even if people are, like, you're not socializing with them. So it's like, you don't hear about the movie. It's not word of mouth anymore. Yeah. That's the weird thing is like, with the, with the pandemic and the quarantine, like, thank God for social media in one aspect, simply because we still had some sort of connectivity through the internet. Maybe not social media specifically, but the internet in general kept us like connected a little bit. But we lost the word of mouth aspect. Like how much do you learn? Like you overestimate or you underestimate, I guess, just how much you actually pick up from conversation with people. Just how much your brain. Yeah. It's word of mouth is so huge for, for art, whether it's music or like movies or music or yeah, whatever the case. Yeah. So hopefully we'll, we're we're opening back up to that slowly, hopefully safely. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's gonna be weird, yeah. man. We'll see what the theaters are gonna be like. I mean, I keep I keep looking at certain things and like thinking about uh, by certain things. I mean, like events happening this summer and you meant yeah like, you know things are opening up but I, like you and i are both kind of on the same wavelength like i don't 100 trust it like i'm almost there yeah. but i just because i just i feel like it's gotta like it's gonna turn up too high even if it's like safe covid wise i don't trust people and their first outing since you know what i mean yeah, that's why I kind of felt nervous going to the beach yesterday. Yeah. I was like, at least I'm vaccinated yeah. now. I've got that. Like, I've been staying healthy. So, like, I'm not going to let it – I'm not going to stay living in fear. Like, I've taken the precautions I possibly yeah. can. Let's go live. But then yeah. even afterwards, I'm like, all right, I'm going to shower every square inch of my body now. 
and <laughs> yeah. take some extra vitamin C, go to bed early. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, because like there's going to be a big boxing fight on August 21st that my sister and I briefly talked about. Well, maybe we should go to Vegas for that weekend, you know, just to just to be around it. But immediately I was just like, no, I don't trust anyone this year. <laughs> like the earliest I'll go to Vegas is next year. Like, well, Vegas too. That's that's a that's like going to the other extreme. Like, yeah. Well, because like not only are like is it are they did they just open up? Like they just opened up and like basically said you don't need masks. You, you can yeah. be maskless yeah. and everything else. So not only have they done that, but then on top of that, you're just talking about everyone's like first Vegas trip since the pandemic. So everyone's going extra fucking ham. You got extra bro. Brewery dudes being extra broy. You got like druggies, drug feeds being extra drug feedy in the club. Like, I just. Not to mention, you're getting a mixture of people from everywhere. So, you're yes, getting samples that, from yeah. all of the areas that could yep. potentially be hotspots. Yep. That's why I was just like, I'll punt. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. punt to next year and then we'll go from there. So I, I, I say all that as I've been planning this this last week of like flying, potentially flying to L.A. next month for some beach time and going to an Angels and Giants series. Nice. Because I've never been to that ballpark. That and Oakland yeah. are the only West Coast stadiums I never went to. So. And I guess Denver, if you want to count that as West Coast, but. I would think there's a reason why. Well, I don't mind just never going to Oakland. I, exactly. Yeah. That's, your toilets back up and overflow onto the concourse. You are literally a toilet bowl of a stadium. Yes. Jesus. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. But Anaheim I want to check out. So I was thinking about that against the beach time. But even while I was looking at tickets, I'm like, Tickets aren't even available on their website yet, like because it's a it's more than a month out, and they don't want to plan that far ahead because they don't know what's going to happen. So it's like, all right, yeah, shit's not back to normal magically here. Like, still got to be aware that it's still out there. <laughs> but well, uh, getting back to the movie <laughs> yeah yeah we took a what do we got for fucking uh reviews here did we cover that i was just about to ask uh, right. there's 133 reviews what is the rotten tomato score for the film um 43 it is 63 percent. oh wow so it's not certified fresh but it is considered you know freshish you know. yeah yeah uh, the critics' consensus is sleeping with other people has likable leads and flashes of inspiration, but seems unwilling or unable to surround them with the truly subversive rom-com they deserve. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Richard Krauss gave it two and a half out of five and wrote what's considered a bad review. Uh, might have been more effective if it didn't adhere so strictly to the old possum that men and women can't be friends. Um, oh, yeah. That's a good point. 
Although, Mike Massey of Gone with the Twins, I don't know what that is or what, give it a 7 out of 10. Uh, they wrote in a what's considered a good article or a good review. The project tries its best to avoid the romantic comedy tropes that initially depended on, while also imparting a bit of dramatic heart. Um, hmm. Alan Almachar gave it a C plus in what's considered a bad review, uh, saying sleeping with other people is pure fluff and not nearly as subversive as it wants to be. Uh, what are uh, they? What that's the like second or third time someone said subversive. What the hell are they talking yes. about? Uh, basically, so, like they're. I I feel like when critics say subversive, they're just looking for something to be so against type to almost be. I feel like they're looking for combativeness against type, like with subversive. Were so like going against the norm or something like yeah how this because it's supposed to like that just seems like I such mean, a douchey movie critic word to use it's like oh it's not it, subversive it, enough yeah I was hoping to be like more fuck subversive. you and your monocle you bitch. I was like, I was hoping to be more subversive, and it's just like, okay, as as in how? I don't know, just more subversive. Like you, you like, there's a follow up question that can't be asked because it's a written review. Yeah, and so they're just using that word to be like, I don't know how to explain it, but here's a word <laughs> that kind of explains it a little bit. Yep. Yep. And it's just like you're 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 just being a fuck. Cop out, cop yeah. out. And it's, I mean, I, I get it. It'd be like if you're playing baseball and you were the. It would be like the first manager to ever play a defensive shift. <laughs> that that manager was subversive because he's yeah he was subversive. To the original, you know, idea of where to place fielders, and so on and so forth. And now, if you were to go out there and play a defensive shift, and just like a normal defensive shift, normal quote unquote, where you just like put third base over second, and you put like shortstop in the middle, and then you have second base with like out into like shallow right, mm-hmm. and like a, a quote unquote normal shift, that you know, critics would be like, "Oh, that shift's not subversive enough." God damn it, they would. And it's they just fucking like, would. fuck you. Like, you... it's not subversive enough for... You know, why don't you have eight... Out, like, we're looking for eight outfielders and one guy standing at second base who would handle all the bases just in case the guy starts running. Like That's if, subversive. If everyone... If every movie comes out being fucking sub- subversive, then none of them are subversive anymore. That's now the new standard. Yes. And like, or that there's even some, so now you're competing in how subversive game you be. And according to this critic, it, this movie was not nearly as subversive as it was trying to be. Was it trying to be subversive? I mean, the writer-director does say that she didn't want it to be a typical rom-com. She, she did say she wanted to be very believable. 
So I don't necessarily think it was subversive. I think she just wanted it to feel as that all the moments in the movie were real. And that's a question. Let's hold on to that question. Cause I, I think that's going to be the first question I ask you. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll end it. Uh, I'll end it with this one by May Abdelbaki uh, movies with May. She gave it three out of five and a positive review and said, although not everything in the film works, it's likable overall and far better than most other romantic comedies the last couple of years. Um, and then most of the other positive reviews just talked about how great Jason Sudeikis and Allison Brie are. Yeah, that's 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 pretty evident. They're solid. They got some good chemistry. They're fantastic as leaders. But I so going back to the question that I just mentioned that I've already forgot. Um, God, what was it? It was about the uh, director's intentions. Yes. Um, so she wanted everything to feel very believable. Right, right. Would you say that everything was that, that happened between the, the main characters, I guess in the relationships overall, did it feel very believable? Well, well, <laughs> I... Now that I think about it, yeah, the first like 10 minutes of the movie, especially, they're showing a lot of those like quick cuts of the kinds of people they've turned into now, you know? Yeah. And after, after they, yeah. Just like the whole first 10 minutes of the movie, even the first interactions between the two of them, the stuff in the dorm and, and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. I was noting to myself, like, God, I remember, like, I remember fighting in a street with, you know, my soon to be ex-girlfriend and her <laughs> like threatening to push me in front of traffic. I remember, um, you know, like all those interactions that happen in the first 10 or 15 minutes. It's like, yeah, those felt, those felt real. I'll give her that. They actually induced the, uh, retrospective emotions brought me back. <laughs> I would say in general, yeah, I could, the movie, I think does a pretty good job overall of portraying fairly real. I, I mean, I can't speak to her relationship with um, the boring ass doctor, Adam Scott's character. <laughs> yeah. That, that seemed far-fetched to me, but I guess maybe I just grew up a fucking sheltered, naive fucking life. <laughs> You know, what's funny is that I would have agreed with you with every other viewing before this one. This one was the first one where I kind of finally saw what Matthew Sopacek's motive in the film was. The whole time, like every time I watched this film beforehand, I just thought to myself, what's in it for Matthew Sopacek? He obviously doesn't like truly care about Lainey. Like all he gets out of it is banging her every so often. Right. And it's just like, so what's really in it for him? Why has he dragged her along like this? And why does he even... So why does he? You know, yeah. Well, that was that was the idea that... It was also the first time that this, the scene made sense through the speech of the scene, which was Jason Sudeikis' scene when he sees... When Lainey... When he and Lainey are in the lingerie store after she ran and chased him on the boardwalk. And Jason oh, yeah. Sudeikis, as, as Jake says, 
you're the hardest drug at the coolest party. And so he has, like, he doesn't think about you. He just, but when he sees you, he has to make a split decision. Do I, you know, not do you and, you know, go about my day and my life? Or do I cancel everything tomorrow? And do you? Sort of yeah. Thing. And so it was just like, and so to I, I can see that the addictive part for Matthew Sobachek this time, where, and it's not even necessarily, huh, like, and it was also just the ultimate, like he could nag her and say the most ruthless, horrible shit to her in a way of like demonstrating power, and she would just come back for more. And so there, there's this like very sick, perverse, you know drug adrenaline thing that gets released in him that he could be this like monster to her and demonstrate this power and, and like ownership of her in in a very you know very like you know disgusting human yeah way. yeah and so but and then you know she slowly weans away from him through her friendship and you know everything that goes on with Jake um, you know, which we could talk about more deeply and what happens after or after. Uh, so, well, which begs the question for me, uh, if you want to, if you want to get into this, uh, yeah. their, their dynamic, the, mm-hmm. the main story here, the main dynamic, yes. the main relationship, we've got yeah. Jake and, Lena. Laney. Laney. Yeah. And to me, throughout the movie, their actual dynamic, a lot of it is is very is very good. Like it's very fun to watch. It's mm-hmm. it's I felt like a lot of it was fairly realistic, very honest. Um, a lot of their conversations that they have are very honest and Yes. They even mention that themselves. So like it's it's nice. It's refreshing to see that kind of stuff in a movie too, because it it reinforces what we all should be doing in relationships instead of seeing these, you know, picture perfect couples on old school rom coms, for example. You know, um, so it's nice to have that reinforcement. The only my whole point to all this, my only question walking away from it was because of her dynamic with boring ass Matt. Is her relationship with Jake just a really long, drawn-out, marriagey version of a rebound? Like that's to get that's over Matt. I was going to approach that in, in the what happens after ever after, but yeah, let's go ahead and approach it now. Um, I mean, I can lead to my thoughts, but I, personally, I root for them as a couple, and I like them as a couple, so I. I tend to say no. And, you know, the, and, and basically the, the movie uses the trick of, you know, there's time passing within the film. So true, a true. lot of time passes in the, you know, through when we start the film and when we end the film. Um, I mean, technically 12, like 13 years, pretty much. Because they find each other twelve years after they initially bang, 
right. and then we go through another year with them. Like that's then there's a lot of fast fast forwards. Like they played Jingle Bells when at one point, so like that's supposed to simulate at least like the Christmas season right, is happening. Right. And, and then there's the whole summer thing. Then you know she moves away two months later, and like so on and so forth. Yeah, nonetheless. Um, so with all that time passage, you assume that there's been work done to understand the dynamic that she had. I mean, she mentioned that her therapist suggested going through a sexual addiction right. cross program. So she's talking to a therapist about it and everything else. And I think, and so she's probably talked to the therapist about her friendship slash relationship with Jake. So that's probably something that she's explored right. in multiple ways. So, and you would assume you would assume that you know that whatever they've decided on and that's that's the other thing they they even got away from each other at the end and then came back to each other oh well, I was just gonna say they I would I would actually argue now that I asked the question out loud I would actually argue that it's not rebound because yeah they they do have honest discussions about their pasts they like understand each other's shit so like it's all the cards are on the table to begin with then on top of that she she does like finally make her own decisions and like take her life under control and yeah. that's she alludes to that when she's dancing at the kid's birthday party and she's like i found my i've like discovered my body and like first time. Yeah. yeah and yeah. uh or like when she decides hey i'm gonna move or I'm going to go to back to med school mm -hmm. and I'm going to move to Michigan. Like, so she is, she is consciously like moving her life forward. And, yeah. and by the end, I think we do see when, when he calls her from the police station and she's in her kitchen, I, I think they both do a pretty good job of like showing us, that they're finally admitting like, Hey, this is not isolated anymore. Like we really do love each other. Yeah. Like this is a real thing. Yeah. Like we've tried everything else. We've, we are like actually living our own lives now and it's not working. Like it's. Yeah. So, so I thought that was kind of cool, but part of me was wondering that for a good portion of the movie, if, if this was like, God, are you really like, are you ever truly going to get over this guy? Or are you just going to like keep running back to Jake? Cause she would like, remember she was like desperately calling him and stuff when she ran into. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's when like, he was when he was having sex with the, uh, Amanda Pete's character. Right. Right. Yeah. And then, and he ends up saying Laney's name. Yeah. <laughs> that was interesting. Um, that I feel like was a, a a realistic moment, though. Granted, I've only had sex one time. I have not been in that sort of situation, but I feel like that's a very like they set up that moment well with the interactions that they had leading up to that. Yeah, like Amanda Pete's character was set up as someone who kind of like you know, didn't take the bullshit, didn't fall for Jake's bullshit, was very straight shooter sort of thing. 
um, and also and had her own bugaboos and like everything else. And then the date itself was very cards on the table. Yeah. For both of yeah. them. Someone he obviously felt like he could be truthful and honest with or comfortable yeah. at least around. Yeah. He could be comfortable with. Exactly. And, and that's so, why Lainey's name slips out. That, yeah, that and, you know, and then the fact that she immediately is just like, how could you say another girl's name? Well, inside me, she like, she doesn't get her, like, feelings or her ego hurt. Instead, she's more about, like, you know, who's Lanny? And then he says the long story and she's like, well, do you want to talk about it? Like, yeah, that's... she's open to it. And that's basically her saying, I think there's something more here. And then he says yes, which means he thinks there's something more too. And so just an admission of, okay, this is not just a casual bang. We just casually banged. And now we're basically saying, Oh, that's a very good point. Little, yeah. There's something a little more here. Like let's, it's not, it's being intimate with someone is not necessarily the act of a penis and vagina and everything. Else. Right. Or like what are, you know, whatever, you know, holes and that's, that's <laughs> sex. Yeah. That's sex. That's, yeah. In the intimate moments are the pillow talk afterward or the things that you said before. Yeah. Like yeah. It's the moment to share. And that's why foreplay is important for intimacy too. Cause it, it especially if it's your first time together, then it's like, you know, you're getting used to each other's bodies and that being brings you to like a deeper level of, uh, you know, emotional connection too eventually. And, and you saw what she did with him, where she said, you know, I want you to do what you like. I, I want the exact you to do opposite of the what, opposite you usually of what do. you do with everyone else. Yeah. And so like, yeah, there was, you know, so that was, that all felt very believable and something you don't see in films. I felt that that was very subversive, but I guess other people didn't. So fuck them. Yeah. I mean, uh, now the more that we talk about it, I mean, it definitely, it wasn't like, I wouldn't label it as like some amazing standout film or anything that yeah. was like, Oh, this went way against the grain and it's brand new, you know, method and everything. And none of that. It's not like mind blowing, but it certainly had some scenes in it that were like unexpected or, you know, uh, refreshingly surprising, I would say. Like, you know what I would say about this film? And I thought it while watching it and it's the highest compliment I can give it. And I don't say this lightly. It's got when Harry met Sally vibes. Ooh. Not, 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 not like Ooh. it is when Harry met Sally, or it's as good as when Harry met Sally. It's got when Harry met Sally vibes. That's fucking sacrilege, man. And I was actually thinking a very similar thing the whole time. So yeah, it's got those vibes. <laughs> it just it vibes. does. Vibes it does. It really does. Yeah. New York friendship. The lot. Frank, the distance, like the. On and off, but also honest communication. Yeah, because they put themselves because they're putting themselves initially in a box that's like a you know fragile do not touch. Yeah, with each other. So then they they basically drop their walls because they feel like they could actually be vulnerable because they don't want anything from that person. Right, and then they realize, oh, that's how you love someone by not 
wanting or expecting something from someone, yeah. but just just giving love to them and uh, and like receiving love back. Yeah. Unconditionally. Yeah. That's the which whole is, which <laughs> that's is, it. That's love one on one. It's such a simple concept, but to actually like feel that, to actually understand that and like know it. It's like one of the hardest things for for any of us to do. Yes. A lot of people spend their whole lives trying to like figure it out. Yeah. It's so hard to just get out of our own way and just accept, you know, a a connection with another person. That's all it is. It's instead we fucking overanalyze it. We overcomplicate it. Oh, it's gotta be all this. And this gotta meet these check boxes. Let's you know, it's like, fucking, Hey, gotta get out of our own way. Man, if I, I couldn't tell you how the way the way that I look at every female is just it, it like it not necessarily like oh my god look at look at her you know boobs look look at this and that but just like immediately like in my mind I'm judgmental of like oh I like this uh, the I, you know, that's not great, but I like this. And I like, like, I immediately like have a pros and cons list of, oh. what of what I've noticed of her just from a first look. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, it's just, it's so, and so immediately I put this idea like of like what I want sort of thing, yeah. out, like out of it. And it's you've, just, you've compartmentalized yeah. and categorized a person, a personality, yes. a character. And we can't do that because people are organic. Our characters and our personalities are organic. They don't have labels and categories and it doesn't all fit nicely into whatever we want it to, you know, and checked off these boxes and fit these, these labels. It's as much as we try. I mean, that's, that's why we're having all the, the, the social issues lately with like the LBGT or L what is it? LB. I could never. LGTBQ. Thank you. Plus now. Yeah. And like, you know, sexual orientation and personal identity and, you know, all that stuff, the personal pronouns. It's like, because, because it's nice and convenient to have words and to have categories and have labels. That's how our human brains think, but that's not how anything in the natural world functions. (laughs) So Sometimes things aren't going to fit nicely into a, a mold. I agree. Yeah. Uh, before we get into like the kiss and kind of wrap up the film <laughs> as my, uh, my phone. Well, me. look who didn't mute his phone. <laughs> I got a text message from my sister or whatever. Oh, that's good timing. Yeah. Um, but uh, one thing I did want to talk about is just I love Jason Manzukis and Andrea Savage. Are yeah, you know? they are a solid, solid couple. Why don't we do drugs? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I miss drugs. Like, just, but just I mean, Jason Manzukis just being Jason Manzukis, like to his son. My love is conditional. <laughs> um, and then, of course, the scene that took forever for us to watch because it's 
during the credits of the streaming services aren't great with that, but their shared scene for the last like two minutes. Oh my God. That was worth it. Some of the funniest shit because they're like improving with each other, obviously. And they are good friends in real life and they've improved with each other. And like Andrew Savage, she had a show uh, that lasted two seasons on true TV called I'm sorry. And it was just about her being married and having a kid and like just being this comedy writer and like immature as a woman in her forties who has to take care of a kid and like, like be a mother. (laughs) Right. But like, but also thinks like poop jokes are funny and like things (laughs) like that. Um, And so there was an episode early on in the show where they talk, where Jason Manzoukas is her single friend. Who's also a comedy writer on whatever they work on. Like, so they write together. Right. And so they're at like a poker game. And Jason Manzoukas is talking about this like mutual friend or the, the daughter's teacher that Andrew Savage hooked him up with. And he's like, yeah, she's great. You know, we got together. We made out. We ended up doing it. You know, she, you know I put ice cubes in her butt. It was fantastic. <laughs> and then and, and Andrew Savage is just like, wait what <laughs> like <laughs> wait what and so like and so they talk like they have their whole witty repartee about ice cubes in the butt and then you know later on in the episode of course she's talking to the teacher just about normal like teaching stuff but then of course the teacher's like getting juices ready and putting ice cubes in the cup <laughs> and so and, you know, Andrew Savage doesn't know how to act <laughs> uh it's just yeah their dynamic <laughs> is pretty fucking amazing especially yeah, especially so, in that final scene they're very like they are convincing as a married couple yes and, and it's just i love the way that they act together it's fantastic yeah um, anyway what i would we we talked about what happens after raptor i think that they stay together and you know yeah, I could see Just, it. I could have, see it. It seems to have a very, you know, honest relationship with each other. And like that's yeah. I think that's a testament again to like you don't something that I've even personally learned over the years is that you don't have to be like you don't have to be this perfect or even the best version of yourself in order to find someone to be happy with, you know? Like you don't have to wait around until you have like we've talked about this, talked about, you know, like what kind of product are we putting out there in the dating market kind of thing, you know? And, and it's like, well, you don't have to have your life magically fucking figured out in every way in order to find joy with someone else. Like it's still your life. You're still figure, you can still figure these things out, but now you have a partner. Now you have someone to help you with it. Now you have someone who is mutually invested in your survival along with yourself. And I think that's like something we all fucking forget about from time to time when, when it comes to relationships is like, that's what it's supposed to be. It doesn't take anything away from your life. What? Who, who, as they say in the film, loves you for free. Yeah. I thought that was actually a, a cute line. That line in that scene, like, when he when they said I love you for free in the movie, like that was another thing that I caught for the first time in this 
uh, this viewing. Okay. Because I, every time I watched it, I just thought it's kind of a cop out. Like they're just like they're saying that they're in love with each other and that they, you know, they love each other for free. And I'm just like, what the fuck they mean by love you for free? Like, well, yeah, I didn't understand where they were going with it for sure. Yeah, because like, because I'm just thinking, so what? Like, yeah. So you love each other, but you're just not willing to. You're you're basically saying, you know, I'm too pussy to try to do something about it. Yeah, it's cute, but like, where are you going with this? Like, what does that mean? But this time I actually got it, and this is part of why they are how they are and who they are. They, you know, for their own reasons, were very insecure about who they were and how people accepted them because he was a late bloomer as far right, as like right. sex someone. So he just assumed no one really wanted him for who he really is. And that she was the first person to kind of, you know, actually be physically attracted and, and like and willing to partake in sex with him, like for yeah. him being himself. You know, only in a short period of time. And then she, for whatever reason, had the same sort of insecurity through, and it manifested itself through Matthew Sobacek as the delivery driver's back. God damn. Um, but, but Matthew Sobacek ended up being the harbinger of these, you know, insecure feelings that she had. And so them saying, I love you for free is the first like outward vocal admission to each other that they unconditionally love each other and that someone unconditionally loves them for who they are. And I love you for free is Mm. just their way of saying, I love you unconditionally for all of your imperfections and for everything, which is something that neither of them had ever truly believed someone was capable of. To love them okay. for everything that they are. Loving someone without and expecting anything in return kind of thing too. Like I warts just, and all. Like, yeah. Love them for warts and all, you know? And that's where that, so the I love you for free line really hit. And then also I noticed for the first time, Jason Sudeikis leans in closer and closer a couple times as if he's going to try to kiss right, her. Right, right. Eyes closed for sleep. As if she's asleep and he pulls away. Right. I noticed that too. Yeah. It's... And the, well, and then he, uh, he gives like a, you know, he lies back onto his back and he gives a look up to the yeah. ceiling where he's clearly disappointed where he's like, damn it. I should have kissed her, but I didn't. He wants to, but he also is just, he can't risk it. Right. Right. Yeah. But. He does kiss her at the very end of the film, which I think is the kiss of the film. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. As well, but that one was way too awkward. That's just the origin kiss. That's that's not the kiss. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, the one at the end, um, you know, where they're they were going to go get married, but then decide they're going to bang instead. They're going to bone. (laughs) And uh, he gives her a kiss. And it's it's a short and sweet kiss. I yeah. think like it's a solid one. It's not a huge makeout. It's out in the beautiful New York street. Um, and you know they got the music of the back. It, it all it all works for me. I give it I give it a solid A. All right. I give it I give it a B. 
it's it's cute it's a great kiss but it's i mean it doesn't go beyond you know to a status for me that's fair i think it's partly because of how i feel about the film which we get to the verdict yeah i've mentioned i've mentioned i've watched this film many time it's one of my favorites so it's a mary for me i marry this film i i will watch it many more times before i had a feeling you might (laughs) well for me it's just a fuck unfortunately but yeah it's a it's a solid movie to check out especially like you said because it's got some similarities to when harry met sally i mean they definitely have this a very similar friendship dynamic too so yes definitely got the this movie definitely has those vibes yes it it doesn't obviously measure up in other ways but yeah it has yeah that that sort of dynamic it's definitely it's definitely entertaining it's a good setup i think it's plenty unique enough too. fuck those reviews jesus what was the word (laughs) subversive Subversive. like it's not like i was sitting there watching love guaranteed like yeah it was it was interesting. It kept me interested the whole time. So what? Whatever. That's all I ask. Yep. So that's that on that. Uh, you can find our socials on Instagram at Bromancing the Stone Podcast. That's all one word together. Uh, on Twitter at Bro the Stone Pod. I forgot to live tweet this one. Uh, it's just too good of a film. I wanted to actually watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and then. You can find me on Twitter at Supermarket Sweep without the E in Super, so S-U-P-R Market Sweep. Uh, and then on uh, Instagram at Relusa88, that's R-E-L-U-S-A-88. And then Max. You can find me on Instagram at the Lionhearted, which is T-H-E period L-Y-O-N-H-E-A-R-T-E-D. And on Twitter, you can find me at the Lionhearted with an underscore instead of a period. Big bang boom. And then it's your choice. For the next film. So we answered at it earlier. We did. We did. And we're finally I can't I honestly thought we did this already. Like I really legitimately haven't chosen it because I thought we'd done it. Because uh, what happened is I had watched it because I had heard about it. I had read that story about the the price that they sold it for. Right. And then I saw it had come out and then I saw a bunch of tweets from people that I respected about how good the film was so that I watched it and I immediately knew it'd be up your alley. And I told you to watch it. And then we talked about it off. Yeah. You, well, you fucking hit the nail on the head. Cause I remember loving the shit out of it. And then I never watched it again. I kept forgetting to rewatch it. And now I have an excuse. So next week we're going to watch Andy Samberg. Kristen Milley. How do you pronounce her last name? Miliati. I should know that. Holy fuck. I should know that. In Palm Springs. Yes, indeed. We're going to watch Palm Springs. Um, And so, spoilers ahead. I'm excited. So, I would definitely suggest to the tens and tens of listeners that follow along every week, definitely watch this one before. Because we're going to spoil the film. Oh, yeah. And this one's on Hulu. It is free yes, on, it's Hulu. on Hulu. Yeah. It's free on Hulu. So you can definitely see it for free. So, yes, watch this film before listening to the podcast. That's going to that's gonna definitely be uh, our, our spoiler alert for you. 
mean, all right so <laughs> no go ahead go ahead, sorry no, but anyway uh for the tens and tens of listeners we love y'all we thank you for listening and we will catch you next week peace out <laughs> love you guys <laughs> Someone heard, yeah, someone yeah. heard from outside and joined in. There yep. Yeah, everyone says bye. <laughs> <laughs>